Well, again, welcome. We're in a series called Wisdom for Life. We're looking at the book of of Proverbs and how it applies to different areas of our life. And this morning, we're going to look at the area of parenting. And so imagine with me, if you, if you will, this, this scene. Your son or daughter or grandchild walks, into the, walks in the road into this city. And it's a huge city. And there are people everywhere as far as the eye can see. People are jammed into the city and going every which way. And all of the people in the city are trying to entice, to seduce your son or daughter into the way of folly, of foolishness, and ultimately the way to hell. Everywhere that you look, everyone is trying to entice your son or daughter to choose the road of folly. And Proverbs says that wisdom cries out in the street that the sort of picture is like amidst all of the thousands of people, wisdom is like the street preacher with the megaphone, trying to get the attention of your son or daughter. And what is at stake between wisdom and folly is eternal life and eternal death. What will your response be if you were standing there? What would you do or say to your son, your daughter, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew? Proverbs is a book that was actually written for teachers, rabbis, parents to use sort of as a curriculum, as instructions for children in how to choose the way of wisdom. And so here's how Proverbs kind of describes it. Look with me, starting in chapter one, um, starting in verse two. Proverbs sets out the goal. It says, here's the goal of the whole book. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So Proverbs sort of uses three terms consistently. The first word, you just heard it, is simple. And the Hebrew word there, pati, just sort of means somebody who doesn't know what to do. Like, you know, think of your three-year-old. Like, they don't know how to make decisions. They don't know how to live life. They're just kind of there. And unfortunately, some people continue in that place of simplicity uh, far too long. But simple is not necessarily bad. But the problem with simple is that from simple, you either move towards wisdom or you move the path of folly. And because of sin in our lives... Because we are naturally sinful people, the direction that we will go is the way of folly. Unless we are coached, trained to go the way of wisdom, we will naturally on our own go the way of folly. So that's what Proverbs is saying. The goal is to help the simple move towards wisdom instead of folly. Now, what is wisdom? 
It's an important, important question. And I want to sort of define the differences between wisdom and folly because it can be a little bit difficult. Proverbs 1.7 tells us what's at the center of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Essentially, what that means, what that phrase means is an awe or reverence or relationship with God. As New Testament believers, we know that that relationship comes through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And that's at the center of wisdom. And then from out from that come all of the other things that we see in Proverbs. So in this text, we see insight, which is the ability to choose between different options, to choose better, uh, good, good, better, best. There's prudence, which is once I know what the best decision is, I can make multiple decisions in that path towards that end. There's instruction, which means um, like training with really strong accountability, like, like, like your coach when you're you know, bench pressing, and he's going, give me one more, baby, give me one more. That's instruction, okay? Speech. Holy, right, godly speech, knowledge, which is learning and information. There's all kinds of them throughout Proverbs. Skill, we could go on and on and on. If you look through Proverbs, wisdom is the collective sum of all of those characteristics, morals, and qualities. Now, at the center of folly is love of self. So instead of fear of the Lord or love of God, at the center of folly is love of self. And maybe you've asked this question like, hey, I know people who are not Christians who have some of these things. They have a skill, you know, really good at whatever, playing the guitar. Maybe they speak really well. They've learned correct speech, how to be polite. Maybe they have a ton of knowledge like they went to school and they know a lot of things. They're, they're smart. Maybe they've shown some, some, some prudence that they've learned along the way. Here's the core difference between wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom is centered on fear of the Lord. And then all of these things feed back and give God glory. In the life of a fool, all of these things are intended to make me look good. And I say that because we have to be very careful, both in our own lives and in the lives of our kids, that we do not mistake them being a good kid, getting good grades, being on the swim team, being like speaking politely, none of those things mean necessarily that your son or daughter or you have wisdom because there is no true wisdom outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. James, in James 3, actually calls this the wisdom of the world, and he says it's demonic. This 
is terribly dangerous and deceptive. And so our job as parents is, is what? This is the goal of Proverbs. And Proverbs says then in 22, Proverbs 22, 6, that the job of the parent is, you may know it, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, some people have said that this means that the way they should go is to parent a child towards their natural bent. To which I would say, this is their natural bent. And you know that to be true if you're with your children. You don't want to parent them according to their natural bent. What is the way they should go? This way. You want to parent them in the path of wisdom. That word training is actually a loaded word in the Hebrew. And it doesn't just mean tell them what to do. It means model to them what to do and tell them what to do, both. And this is where I think this lesson hits everybody in this room. Whether you're single or your kids are out of the house, maybe you never had kids. Like if you are in here and you're not a parent, you might wonder, what, what, what lesson am I gonna leave with today? Here's, here would be my hope, is that the children, the adolescents, the teenagers of this church, everywhere that they look, they would see people who are modeling walking in the path of wisdom. Whether you, res whether you are responsible to teach them as their parent or not, all of us have the responsibility to model Christ-likeness, the path of wisdom. And so I think there's something for everyone here today. This is our aim, to train our simple children in the path of wisdom and away from the path of folly. And I was talking to Melissa today. She serves um, in our tech ministry here. And uh, she's, she's training for, it's, it's called, a, like I think it's an ultra marathon. It's like 50 some miles. It's the worst idea I've heard all week long. <laughs> I was like, like you, you'd have to pick me up with a shovel. Um, but she's training for this. And she said, hey, like that word training is really important because it, what it really means is that it, it changes your whole way of life. If you really choose to train, it changes your whole way of life. And so parenting is not just one or two decisions. It's a day in and day out, every day, every moment, every week decision to point our children towards Jesus and the path of wisdom. And there are a bunch of ways to do that that Proverbs gives us. I'm gonna look at five today. And that seems so small compared to all that is sort of rolled into parenting. But I think these five are very, very important. And I hope they will serve you well. Number one. Number one, as we try to parent our children in the path of wisdom, put God first. That's number one. And honestly, all of these other things, 
can only fall into place after we put God first. Why? Because Jesus, a relationship with Jesus is the beginning of wisdom. Unless we get that right, unless your son or daughter has an encounter with Jesus, all of the other things down here, speech, skill, knowledge that they may be developing are just developing them on the path of foolishness. So this has to be the bullseye. This has to be the bullseye. Oh, especially those of you parents who have young children, the majority of your parenting efforts ought to be focused on teaching your son or daughter about Jesus, making him primary. And there are tons of ways that you can do that. I've told you this story before, but one of the ways that my parents modeled it is I, is I knew every day that they were spending time in God's word. I would wake up and I would walk out of my room and my mom's Bible was always there with her half-drunk uh, cup of coffee. And then I would look in to where my dad would sit and his Bible was there on the floor as well. Every day when I woke up, I knew they had been with Jesus. My son is an early riser. He gets up like earlier than me sometimes. He'll be up at four o'clock um, and just happy, happy as the day is long. Hey dad, what's going on? Want to play a game? Um, and he asks me every day, almost every day to do something. And every day I tell him no. Every day I tell him no. I say, you know that every morning, buddy, I spend time with Jesus. I'm going to read my Bible. I would love for you to join me in doing that. And just recently he has started doing that. He's got his little journal. He started writing in it. And I taught him the method of Bible study that I use. It's so simple. Even uh, an 11-year-old can do it. So we model Jesus being first in our own lives. What's your prayer life like? Proverbs 4, the father says, son, listen to me. I give you good precepts. So the father has things in his brain and in his heart that he's learned from God that he's downloading to his son. Dad, mom, do you have those things? Do you know God's word? Are you parenting them according to God's word? Are you teaching them about what he's like? Are you just kind of like giving them some good advice for the day? There is no wisdom outside of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, so... Some parents have said to me, I, you know, I talked to a few, uh, a few parents after service, and parents don't want to, like, well, I don't want to turn them off to God, so I don't want to force God on them. And I would just challenge you that that's a bad idea. Because the means of grace that God has given your children to be parented in the path of wisdom is you. Matt Chandler, a preacher and teacher in Texas, once gave a great illustration that I love. He said, you know, if you went into your son or daughter's bedroom in the morning and, uh, and said, hey, it's time to get up for school, and they said, you know what, I'm just not going to go today, or, or you know what, this week at all, would you say, I don't want to turn them off to school, <laughs> so we're just going to let that fly. Of course you wouldn't. Why? Because you know what's best for them. You're their parent. And yet in the spiritual realm, for some reason, 
I think as Christian parents, like somehow we've gotten this idea that, well, I, I don't want to turn them off to church, so I'm not going to force them to come to church. It's nonsense. Now, when they get older into the teen years, if they still don't have an appetite to know Christ, it becomes a little bit more difficult and requires a little bit more wisdom and discernment and relationship. But I'll tell you what. I remember, I can still picture it back home, and my, and my dad is here, so he will remember these moments. We would be finished with dinner, and I would be ready to go outside to play with my buddies, and he would open his Bible, and I'd be like, oh, <laughs> here we go, right? I was never like, oh, yeah, sweet. Thanks, Dad. The guys can wait. Like, you just, oh, man, open that puppy up. Teach me. We have all the time in the world. No, I was like, you know, in, in my body language, like, is this over yet? And he'd ask me a question. I don't know. Right? But I'll tell you what. My mom and dad were diligent to teach me the things of the Lord, even when I didn't want to. See, that's, that's oh, well, my kid's not interested in Jesus. Of course they're not. Second Corinthians tells us that um, the things of the Lord are folly to the natural mind. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to teach them. We teach them on the way of wisdom, even like they're not going to like it initially. And some kids are tempered different. Like, you know, some kids are a piece of cake and some kids are like, they're really gonna battle you. I remember I would battle my mom. Oh my gosh, she's here. She could tell you. She could stand up and testify right now. Um, I, I screamed at my mom. I hate you more times than I care to uh, admit. But she wouldn't compromise. She saw the foolishness in my life and she would not compromise. She would say, I, she, she would go, I'm not one of your little friends, Joey. But it was good for me. It was good for me. Because my parents taught me what was primary. You have got to put God first in your household. And you have the right to force that in the life of your children. Force them into family devotions. It's okay. Force them to get up and come to church on Sunday morning. It's okay. Force them to go to life group and be, in, and be involved. It's the same thing as school or anything else. Do they want to go to the dentist? No. I don't want to go to the dentist. But I know it's best for me. Number one, put God first. Number two, speak life. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Imagine that, right? We're, we're, we're Bible people at this church, so we believe that that's true. That death and life are in the power of the tongue. What do you say to your kids and about your kids? What sort of names do you call them when they've messed up, when they make a poor decision? How do you speak yourself? I guarantee you, your kids will speak as you speak. You want to know what one of the most difficult things for me as a dad is? When I go, Logan, don't speak that way. And he goes, you do. 
right? Paul Tripp, who's a pastor, says, this proverb just makes me want to wrap duct duct tape around my head and never speak again. Because here's the thing, every day, regardless of what's going on in your home, you speak to one another. And this proverb says that every, there's not one word you say that is neutral. Every single statement moves your son or daughter in a life or a death direction. So work that out time after time, interaction after interaction, and what's going on in the heart of your child. Why do they act the way that they do? Maybe it's because for 10 years you've been calling them an idiot. Or bonehead. Stupid. Maybe you curse in your home. Joel Cole, who's one of our life group leaders and a mom, sent me a message this week. I was sort of asking some of our life group leaders who have children. She, she said, speak life into your children, tell them what they can be in Christ. Tell them what they can be in Christ and not who they are in their flesh. She said, we always looked at parenting like owning a puppy. If you don't want your 75 pound Rottweiler sleeping in your bed, you shouldn't let your adorable seven pound Rottweiler sleep in your bed. If you don't want your 15 year old to be rude and disrespectful, don't let it happen when they're five. One of the ways that we do uh, speech training in our house is by doing re- rewinds. So like, here's the scene. Uh, hey, hey, Logan, time to come down for dinner. And he comes down, doop, doop, doop. Oh, ugh, this again, uh, wrong. Back upstairs. What? Back upstairs. <sighs> right, all the way back upstairs. And I go, are you, are you all the way back where you were? Yep. Okay. And scene. Logan. Time to come down for dinner. He comes down. And when he was young, I would train him. I would, I would actually say to him, here are your two options. You can close your mouth and say nothing. That's a fine response. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. The second response could be, hey, mom, thanks for making dinner. Those are your only two options. Anything that's a complaint about what is going on is not acceptable. And we do it all the time right? And, and I just, I've, tra- I've just trained my kids. Ah, 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 rewind. Try that again. Let's go back. And we'll do the whole thing again. I don't know what tactics you use in your home, but we need to teach our children to speak life. We need to be people of life speech. Because here's the truth. It goes deeper than just our speech. Jesus says in Matthew or in, in uh, Luke that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. So we're not just aimed with our children at right speech, we're aimed at heart transformation that changes the way that they speak. So we train them on the path to righteousness, one by putting God first, second by speaking life. Three, work hard. Work hard. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food for harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I find myself going, kids these days, 
They don't know the value of a good hard day's work, you know, saying things like that. But honestly, I think it's true. I think that our culture has shifted so much to the technological, that we've put so much emphasis on, um, uh, on school and that type of knowledge that we have lost what it means to actually work hard. Now, hard work can come in a variety of ways. You can be in school and work hard and you can be plowing a field and work hard. But I think we've lost the value of hard work because largely it's inconvenient for us as parents to teach our children how to work hard. Me cleaning the toilet is faster and easier and is less headache than teaching my daughter to clean the toilet. Me mowing the lawn is going to get done better and faster than teaching my son to mow the lawn. These two scenarios I've been trying to practice for this sermon, so... so. So my kids have the bathrooms on the weekends. They have to clean the bathrooms. And Grace finished, and it's like, that, that toilet is not clean. <laughs> so I'm faced with a choice, you know, like, am I going to go get her, or am I just going to like, oh, good job, honey. I was like, I'm preaching on parenting, darn it. <laughs> so, so I got her. I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This isn't clean. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. And so I said, you see this right here? I, and I'm, I'm flashing back. I remember my mom and dad doing this. See this right here? It's not done right. See this right here? It's not done right. So I got down with her. Spray right there. Okay, scrub that. Spray right here, right down. Dad, are we done yet? No, you see that? Gross. Spray that right here. And we just went the whole thing. It's, it's okay. So now go and do likewise. The other day, I tried to, uh, I tried to teach Logan to mow the lawn on the tractor. And he's kind of like a, like a chill guy. And so I set him up and we're good. And he's like, I'm like, I'm like, bro, let's go. So, so here's, here, and, then, and then when he's done, it's like, you know, like that. And so, so here's what I did, honestly. Like, I was at a buddy's house, and he had two lawnmowers, like, like push mowers. And I was like, what do you, why do you have two push mowers? Like, you're a single dude. He goes, actually, I'm getting rid of this one. You want it? And I go, yeah, I do want it. And so Logan came home from school yesterday. He goes, what's that? I go, oh, you just wait and see, buddy. You wait and see what that is. And so... So I took him out yesterday, and, and I showed him how to use that push more, and I said, hey, here are, here are you three areas. I made him do all the trimming. <laughs> uh, but honestly, so Logan comes back in, he's drenched in sweat. But he learned how to work. It took some time on my part. Nope, you missed that. Like he would, and there's like rows of uncut grass. Come on, go, gotta, get, gotta go back. Same thing with the toilet, but we train our children and we model hard work for them. We do things well. We finish what we start. Train your kids. Give them chores that are age appropriate. Help them to understand that they don't have to be paid for everything. That's always Logan's question. Am I getting paid for this? No, you're going to empty the dishwasher because you live here. You get to eat. That's your payment. But some things, honestly, the way that our world works 
is we, we, like, we get paid to work. So I, I think sometimes that's appropriate. I tell my children that um, their, their main job is to, is to do well in school. That's what, that's what they do from seven to three. It's a whole work shift. And so I pay them for, for good grades. There are other things around the house that aren't in their normal responsibilities, and so I'll pay them to do it. Um, so teach your kids to work hard. That's all over Proverbs. Put God first, speak life, work hard. Fourth, choose godly friends. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Second Corinthians six fourteen says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? That text about being unequally yoked is not only about marriage. That's usually where we apply it in marriage or in dating. But it's really about our deepest, closest, most intimate friendships. That the people who are closest to us ought to be people who are walking with us on the path to wisdom. Ought to be Christ followers. And that goes for parents and children. And I've got some, some, some feedback about this because people don't, people don't like that. It's like, oh, that's exclusive. And, I'm, and I was like, I'm not saying to not have friends or acquaintances that are unbelievers. In fact, we need to interact with the world if we're to be life houses, if we're to pe- be people on mission, sharing the gospel with people. But the people who are your closest, most intimate friends, the people with whom you spend the most time and share your life ought to be people on the path of wisdom. And you can argue about it all you want. I was, I was talking with a lady, went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, you, you have to deal with what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that if you hang around with foolish people, you will become a fool. That you should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because darkness and light have no partnership. And so I would challenge you in your friendships, in your family... Who are the people that you spend the most time around? If you don't have a lot of Christian friendships, a great way to build those would be to get into a life group here. I love what the CVC moms do with Momtourage. It's a great model of discipleship. And honestly, I would challenge you to prioritize Christian friendships in the lives of your children. Grace is in sixth grade. She's in middle school. They're over there in collide right now, and she's with a great group of young ladies. They have great life group leaders that care for them, and I prioritize Grace being with those girls above her friends at school. Yesterday, we had a track meet, and then I had a meeting with a bunch of people at our house from the team that I'm leading to Pearl Island here later, and Grace got invited to a a birthday party that was about 50 minutes away from our home from a girl that's in her, her life group. And Linda and I both said, we need to make it work. Jordan was baptized at Easter. She loves Jesus. I remember being in the tank and hearing her dad say, Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Right, sweetie? I want my daughter around that. I want my daughter around Jordan and her family. Had it been a birthday party from some girl at school? Down on the priority list. Not that it's bad. She can go. But I prioritize those Christian friendships. I want her, I want my son spending time around people who are walking the path of wisdom. Do you know why? Because everyone in their life is pulling them, enticing them to the path of the fool. Their middle school is filled with people like that. What they need is people who are going to guide them on the path of wisdom.
put God first, speak life, work hard, choose godly friends, and finally, love discipline. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I was talking in our creative team this week, and our worship pastor, Nate Green, said something that is worth repeating. He said, discipline reminds my children of their sinfulness, their fallenness, and their need for a savior. I love that. If we just let our kids go and never discipline them, just allow them to walk the path of folly with never correcting their foolishness, what they learn is that must be the way to live. Because they start simple. They don't know how to live. They'll move this way. And our correction says, no, 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 no. We're going a different way. We're going on a different path. And the way that you're choosing to speak and to act is in opposition to God. And I'm not trying to change just your behavior, son or daughter. I'm trying to show you that you need a heart transplant. As we discipline our children, we show them their need for Jesus. But I love, I lo- so rem- like go back with me and, and remember, Proverbs is actually written as instruction for children and teens. And it was to be taught to them. And so what this says, listen, what this says to your child, your adolescent, your teenager is You are to love discipline. (laughs) But that's what it says. You are to love discipline. How do we teach our children to love discipline? One, I think we explain to them why we're disciplining the way that we are. See, what can happen is we just respond We're angry, we yell, and we send away. The model of Jesus is to speak life and come close, right? We yell and send away. We speak death and send away. Jesus says, I'm gonna speak life, come close to me. Come here and sit down. I'm gonna teach you the way that you should walk. So I think we explain our discipline, and honestly, I think we share our story in age-appropriate ways with our children, because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ in this room, you've probably come to a point in your life where you love discipline. You look back, and you love the discipline that has been in your life. I love the discipline that's been in my life because it showed me that I was broken and that I was wrong and that I was a fool and that I needed something outside of myself to fix that. That I needed a perfect savior 
who came to this earth and died and rose again to make Joe Valenti new. That's why we need discipline and that's why our children need discipline. I wanna close by taking you back to that scene. We've shared just a few things, put God first, speak life, work hard, choose godly friends, love discipline. And, And there are a ton of other things that we need to learn as parents. But here's what I wanna encourage you with as we close. Go back to the scene, right, in your, in your head, this huge city, and your son or daughter is there, and there's all of the people in the city enticing them and calling them, all of the fools, all of the self-centered, all the people who want your child to go the way of the fool, and they're calling, just come, come over here. It's fun. It's easy. Get yours. Be important. Be famous. And there's wisdom. On the street corner with the bullhorn. And here's what wisdom says. Proverbs 1, starting in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. Here's what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one else has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you and terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then you will call upon me, but I will not answer. Then you will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is life and death. Eternity is in the balance in this scene for your son or daughter. And the world would tell you, there they are at the crossroads, all of the people enticing them to the way of folly, the world would tell you to just kind of stand back and go, man, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to turn them off to God. So I hope they make the right choice. That's a really bad idea. 
So what do you do? Mom, dad, grandma, aunt, whoever. You step into that moment and you put your arm around your little girl or your little boy and you say, walk this way. Listen to wisdom, son. Open your ears. Hear. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Listen to wisdom. Respond to her. Walk this way. Every day. All day. You train them to go in the way that they should go the way of wisdom. And you pray with all your heart. Oh Lord, capture my son's heart. Capture my daughter's heart. Show her through my discipline. Show him through my discipline their brokenness and their, and their need for you. Take, take out that heart of stone, Lord. Put in a heart of flesh. Win them to yourself. Put them on the road of wisdom. I can only do so much, Lord, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be diligent. I'm gonna be diligent to pray for them and to model Christ's likeness and to put them around Christian people to teach them the value of good work, to teach them your word. But Lord, would, would you do a supernatural work? Would you, would you honor my obedience? And we just look forward to that day when it happens. And I remember, I still remember, when I truly decided to give my life to Jesus, everything that my mom and dad had taught me clicked into place. It was like, oh. The training of your children in the way of wisdom is never wasted. Of course they're gonna push back against you. Keep guiding them in the path of wisdom. Moms, I know it's hard. I know you love those little babies, no matter how big they are, with all of your heart and that they can cause you immense pain sometimes. I doubt that many of your children, like Proverbs 31 says, rose up this morning and called you blessed. <laughs> Probably not. My mom is sitting in this room. I rise up most days. And even though I might not say it to her, I call her blessed. I call her blessed. The payoff, moms, is usually not when they're five. It's usually not when they're 15. Whew. But if you continue to parent those little babies... 
in the path of wisdom, when they're 35, they may rise up and call you blessed. And it will have been worth it. Every single day, every single moment in the path of wisdom. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. When we fail, we are reminded that you are enough. Oh, we're so thankful that ultimately (laughs) the future and the salvation of our children is not dependent upon us. So fickle and feeble are we. But that you have provided a way for us and for our children to have salvation eternally through the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to lay down our responsibility. We want to take up our responsibility in partnership with the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ and be diligent to train our children in the way of wisdom. So God, I thank you for the moms in this room who love you with all of their heart. And there are so many different factors that go into every child that's represented in this room. Would you encourage them today? I pray, Lord, that it might not happen when their little girl is five or when their son is 15, but that as they are diligent to mother and train and disciple in the way of wisdom, that they would have 30-year-olds that rise up and call them blessed. That they would prove that parenting in the way of wisdom is worth it. Would you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be obedient, to step into that moment and plead with our children with everything that we have to choose the way of wisdom for your glory and your namesake. In Christ's name we pray, amen.